Welcome to the Malaysia in Deluge series of podcasts about Malaysia's 15th general elections, or GE15. I'm Kian Wong, and with my colleagues at MASA, the Malaysia and Singapore Studies Affiliate of Australia's Asian Studies Association, we're discussing the themes, tropes and tendencies of GE15 with all sorts of experts in politics, the economy, the polls, the media, religion and society. In this episode, we're talking about Malaysia's troubled economy, the politics of overcoming misfortune after a few years of the pandemic, and the quest for credible government and better policy at these elections, or GE15. When the February 2020 coup that collapsed the short-lived Pakatan Harapan government happened, on the eve of the pandemic's border closures and shutdown of the economy, several long-awaited reforms also imploded, while a new Perikatan national government struggled to keep Malaysians and the economy alive. As economist Zafri Zukifli at MIDF Amana Investment Bank points out in this discussion, no matter which coalition ends up winning, the government this time will be in a jam. With rising 1MDB-related debt servicing costs and a looming global recession, there's also huge pressure to cut government spending on subsidies and reintroduce taxes like the GST, just as Malaysians already squeezed by the soaring cost of living hope for some government relief. The longer-term problem of diversifying Malaysia's economy away from fossil fuels and curbing Malaysia's huge food import bills while ensuring its food security may just be avoided again. We're joined in this discussion by Dr. Greg Lopez, a Malaysian economist at Murdoch University and fellow MASA committee member, as Zafri explains how the pandemic-era coalitions have kept Malaysia afloat until these elections. During PN, Perikatan uh, National, Ambassador National, I mean, they are the same government, just the two different uh, prime ministers. One was uh, Muhyiddin Yassin and the other one was Ismail Sabri. And they took over during the pandemic. I mean, we had a quite a long uh, lockdown uh, nationwide. In 2020, we had contractions. 2021, we our economy grew by 3.1%. Uh, we the 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 domestic reopening just started in the fourth quarter, which is in May. I'm sorry, in in October. It's quite quite late. And 2020 is the the year where we try we are fully recovered, but still there are some. Uh, lacks in, in terms of certain sectors. So to, to say to say that Pekatan National, Ambassador National uh, not managed to uh, the economy well, it's not proper to say that because they, they took over during the, uh, the challenging times. So could I make the conclusion that Pakatan Harapan, Perikatan National and Barisan National in all in their own ways uh, during perhaps some of the most challenging uh, period in both domestic and at the international level. And you mentioned the global trade wars between US and China, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic, and then also the Russia-Ukraine war, that even uh, given this extremely volatile international situation, uh, all these three administrations had actually managed in their own ways the Malaysian economy well. Could that be a conclusion? Correct, especially uh, with these three administrations, what they maintain is the they manage the fuel subsidy. They maintain that so that our overall inflation uh, remain low. If you compare relatively, we are quite low as compared to the regional peers because our transport inflation quite muted. Uh, it's just that our main problem is the food inflation, which 
we are net importer for all food products except for the tea. So that's why with the ringgit depreciate, and then we have this net importer of food products. That's why our food inflation is always higher than the headline as well as the transport inflation. That's why uh, some some quarters in the in the economy are complaining because of, or complaining on the cost of living issue, basically pertaining okay. to the food food prices. Thank you. That that's an that's an important point. Now, uh, given that both these three coalitions have have managed this this short term challenges quite well, uh, and it, in, in in some ways it's not surprising because you know members of this coalition uh, have all in their own ways had long experience with government, with PN being a sort of a splinter of BN and and PH in some ways also being a splinter of, of BN. Yeah. So it's not surprising that they manage the economy well. But going forward, perhaps uh, this is where we can segue into the, the most recent budget. Going forward, um, and if you manage to look at the manifestos of, of these this three coalitions, we would appreciate your, your take on the most recent budget, but, but also BN, PN and PH sort of short term and, and medium term approaches to manage the Malaysian economy and given the, 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 the international challenges. But also perhaps if you could say a few words on sort of some of the long term challenges. Now, the cost of living issue is essentially a function of, of wages. You know, if, if you're on a, a low wage, cost of living will always be an, an issue. All right. Um, just to, before I, before I comment further, just to the, the, the issue that we have right now, I mean, among economies or among the financial market, we are quite disappointed when uh, Ismail Sabri didn't proceed the budget to the approval stage. He, he presented on Friday and then uh, dissolved yeah. the parliament on Monday and then the budget left hanging. So basically, yeah. we are we have no budget at all. So right. and then now now facing going into G four fifteen, there's no consensus. Uh, there's no clear signal that any coalition that will garner or will gain uh, the the largest majority at the moment. Based on all surveys, still quite. Uh, even support to these three major coalitions. So it's a, it's a downside risk for, for Malaysia economy, especially if the, the result will be a hung parliament, then, we have a, then we're going to have another problem facing with the fiscal policy moving forward. But assuming that the budget uh, were to approve later on, the same budget, um, the government is quite optimistic, uh, especially in terms of the new uh, brand oil, uh, $90 per barrel, and they are, they are putting about uh, development expenditure the highest level ever, $95 billion, uh, mostly spent on the infra projects, uh, train, highways, and, and, and other major infra projects. So it's a, it's a good, good counter-cyclical measure, especially moving into next year that most, most are expecting that the, there will be a global slowdown, so Malaysia is is pumping up the economy via the government investment as well as expenditure and the and the uh, construction sector. So that is one point. But the the the, the budget also indicate that the, the government of Ismail Sabri would likely to raise the the fuel price, the retail fuel price, basically by cutting uh, subsidies. 
Um, and this will cause inflation to remain elevated at around 3 to 4% level, but still a healthy level uh, relatively. So this is direction. So that, that is on the budget. I mean, the main issue with the budget Malaysia is not, of course, one, we are talking about is a long term issue, right? So the, the yes. one in terms of the income diversifications, we are still dependent on the oil related revenue close to 20 to 30%. We are taking uh, Petronas special dividend. We rely very much on that, and and of course the 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 term of GST is very sensitive to and or mm -hmm. if you want if the government wants to raise SST again, we will be politically insensitive. Uh, it will not be good for political, and mm -hmm. that will be the challenge. But at the same time, um, of course, PH government they 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 call for. Penjimatan, uh, uh, you know, to cut spending, but cut spending is one thing. But you need to make sure you have a proper revenue channel to back up your plan. So uh, there's a lacking part for the PH government, the PH uh, manifesto. But if we look at the, of course, if BN and PN, they are looking at uh, diversifying the income by reintroducing GST. Of course, they don't mention this in manifesto. But the intention is there. It's either to raise the SST or to introduce GST with a lower rate at around 4% to 3%. So that would be the game plan. But the, the, the main problem, my personal view is that the main problem with our government is the operating expenditure. We, de we pay almost 40% on emolument and our debt service charges, uh, including the 1MDB payment, is taking a toll on us. Is uh, almost 20 billion being paid for the debt service charges alone, and and the only way that we can cut the opex is via the, the fuel subsidy or other subsidies method, which in the end will affect the the cost of living issue as well as the B40 and 40 uh, concern, and this these are the structural issue and challenging times, and they really need a political will to to amend these uh, fiscal issues. And of course, just to reiterate further on the salary issue, right? Our latest number, uh, median salary for 2021 is 2,250 ringgit per month. Um, 2019, before the pandemic, was 2,440 ringgit. Basically, the median salary is 8% lower than the 2019 level. Benegara did a study in 2018. To live, uh, the living wage in KL should be 2,700 uh, 2, ringgit in 2018. So, if you if you calculate further with the inflation rate, then you should have at least 3,100 ringgit to live in KL uh, in 2023 or 2022. So, but the median wage is still lower than the uh, than the living wage. So that's why the pressure. Uh, the cost of living pressure in Malaysia is more uh, stemmed by the household income or the low income issue rather than the supply side factor. Yeah, just to clarify that last point. So when you, you mentioned median wage, it is the for individual. Yeah, It's not the household income that you're talking about. Correct, correct. The median the wage is median, the individual. Median. Okay. The median salary, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, just so, coming in here. Now the, no, no, uh, I was just curious. So, Zafri, basically, the overall picture, 
sounds quite grim, partly because it seems to be fundamentally an issue of political credibility and a government that can push through some important longer-term structural reforms, right? And it doesn't have, I guess, the political capital to do that. But at the same time, these economic issues are quite urgent, aren't they? I mean, you've got a fairly serious uh, cost-of-living problem. Uh, But at the same time, the Malaysian economy, as you say, is not diversifying fast enough uh, to other uh, streams of income. Yes? Correct, correct. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just to build on Kian's points, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to break it down. You're saying, number one, the key problem is is not so much government's ability to to pump prime the economy. The key problem is that wages are simply not keeping pace with the required cost of living. Economic theory will say that for wages to to move up, you would require productivity and perhaps regulation. So you can regulate the labor market into higher wages or you drive productivity. Now, earlier you also mentioned that the budget had a lot of infrastructure project and and that's going to pump prime the economy. Do you have a view whether pump priming the economy has has had a positive effect on wages? Has, has it raised wages? So far, we haven't seen the effects of the pump priming into wages. I mean, the wages has been growing um, on on the rate of five percent nominally, and of course you minus with inflation. We, in terms of wage growth, which is quite healthy. We always record about three point five percent real wage growth, but the pump priming okay. is basically just to support the GDP growth, not rather than uh, to support the wage growth. But the 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 method that the government uh, Malaysia do, I mean, despite of the any party. What they did was the they they keep on raising the minimum wage, which we started in 2013. Because um, in 2013, only 53% of our employer employment being paid properly. Now, after after the introduction of the minimum wage, now around around 65% of the employment being paid properly. So we still have 35% not being paid uh, properly. Uh, some of them is informal sector and some of them are shadow sector. This these numbers is in jive with the EPF number that the, the, the deposit is less than 10 million of them. So it's one of the structural issues in Malaysia. Yep. Yeah, so with better regulation, you can drive better wage outcome for, for the workers and, and also productivity. There, You mentioned there are serious structural issues uh, in the Malaysian economy. Number one, our income stream is, is very narrow. Uh, revenue from, from so the oil and gas, perhaps the, the export markets. But then uh, we have this major issue around the operating cost, uh, and in particular the public sector. Although another way to, to actually look at this is <laughs> if you have a, a a large public sector that is efficient it's it's one way to drive wage growth you know if if you know in the scandinavian model or perhaps even singapore a highly efficient public sector 
with high wages uh, sets the benchmark uh, for the economy and it delivers uh, services. You know, if you've had a look at the the manifestos, uh, and we know um, um, manifestos um, is more like a sales pitch, but in those manifestos, did you see uh, any of the coalition attempting to address the structural issues that Malaysia is facing? Um, so, I mean, they, but this time around, the, those manifestos are not optimistic as before. And that's one thing. Okay. So, <laughs> um, PH mentioned that they will seriously look at the minimum wage, perhaps raising it by 100 ringgit per annum, possibly. That was, that was the promise made in DGE 14. Uh, Bison National announced that they will um, support those. Um, Household income 2,200 ringgit and below, which for me, I think you quite a misled of data because the based on B40 number, Malaysia B40 is 3,400 and below, KL B40 is 6,000 and below. So by sure. helping those 2,200, you are just helping some of the groups, not all. And yeah, of course, all parties, all coalitions are looking at raising the minimum uh, the wages especially to improve the coe to gdp ratio from 28 to 40 percent by mid by 2025 by 2030 this is this i mean the the agenda put uh, written in the uh, shared prosperity vision 2030 rmk12 all parties are going towards that it's just that um um i think as we mentioned just now like um, the political will, uh, perhaps maybe starting from the government itself, that would be the key point to raise the wage. As of now, everyone is still sticking to the 1,500 ringgit. Uh, even the government, uh, even during the latest budget, they, they, we have this program called uh, Protege, is it? Uh, it's just like a new entry for the government and the Gleeks. The maximum payment is only 2,100 ringgit per month. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's quite low. I mean, I mean, I understand why it's quite low because they have to cater a lot of um, other payments, especially in the emoluments. Imagine, because of the because of the political instability, uh, we have a resident government. During PH time, the number of ministers was around 55. Uh, when it comes to Muhyiddin Yassin, around 70, and Ismail, Ismail Sabri, same, around 70. But logically speaking, if you are running a company, when you are in the hard times, you you will you will uh, you know fire some some of your staff. But this is the other way around in Malaysia, they they practice their shared prosperity vision in the wrong way. <laughs> uh, well said, well said, Zafri, If I can yeah. just uh, you mentioned you know the protege program, yeah. So helping uh, helping the you know clear the labor market and, and the government steps in to help clear the labor market but then in doing so now increases its its own operational costs which is a it's a it's a which is a major drag potentially on the malaysian economy and and this uh, manifestos appears to be a moving target because uh, just today uh the barisan national chairperson have said that free higher education for all B40 students. How would you determine what is responsible uh, manifesto? You know, um, 
is is populism promising everything uh, without consideration of cost the way to go or or is this really the time that that uh, long suppressed citizens <laughs> should demand uh, everything that they can go for uh, get uh, uh, and and then worry about how to finance it uh, you know kick what they say kicking the can down the road let the next generation sort yeah. out these these issues okay i think uh, just to share i mean my view is that i was here in, i was in kl 2018 that time uh manifesto was the topic uh, discussed among the malaysians you can see or at the mamak restaurants or even any cafe people are talking about manifesto ph promised this najib promised this and uh, of course at that time only two uh, of course pass promised here and that but this time around no one is talking about manifesto i mean no one's mm-hmm. like everyone's like i uh, like saying that ah uh, any manifesto they will di chapati you know <laughs> they call it ini janji will di chapati so that's why if you notice in the manifesto this time around there's no quantitative uh, figures being announced so much uh, more on the qualitative uh, just the storyline just like that i think malaysian right. are already tired with these promises what the malaysian okay. want is the is a proper leadership Uh, that can really address the issue of of the current uh, fundamental issue. For example, I take you education, right? I mean, in in Malaysia, the education is not about the syllabus. It's not. It's not that our kids tak pandai or not smart enough. But the issue is the the infra is too bad. For example, I take you one example. I graduated from uh, the secondary school in in Rawang in the area. My class was uh, around close to 40 students in one class. Um, I asked my sister, she's currently on the, in the form 5, uh, same class. Still, the number is 40, 40 students per class. You see, the, the, the infra, I mean, I share my experience as a vacuum cleaner in Australia back then <laughs> during my student year. Yep. I still remember one class is only about 15, 15 students. They can just eat, even leave their their apa, iPad, uh, laptops on the table, mm-hmm. you know. So the yep. the issue is infra in Malaysia. Of course, I don't want to talk about the Sabah and Sarawak. You can see all the videos. All the students have to take the the boat or sampan or whatever to cross the the river, you know. But we're talking about in KL or in Selangor. The the issue is infra. The student have to be packed into a class with a forty students, and you expect them to to study hard. The environment doesn't allow that. I mean, those who those who succeed are those in the in the boarding school, MRSM, sekolah ting, uh, asrama, whatsoever, and or even a private school where the class is only maximum to twenty five or twenty students. Hence, the the infra allow the student to 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 progress better. So that's my take, lah. I mean, the issues. Same, same goes to the hospital. I mean, I believe you guys also have the relative complaining about public hospital over here. It's overcrowded, too crowded. You know, some even got appointments have to be delayed about two, three months. So, I mean, this is this so, is issues, ah, uh, infra issues. It's ah, uh, it appears there is an irony that although um, public sector operational. Expenditure is increasing, but you know it seems it's not keeping pace with sort of societal demands uh, reflected 
in the in the ratio of teachers to students or doctors uh, doctors to patient nurses to patients uh, in our population growth services demand uh, increase in services demand uh, seems to be is it outstripping a government ability to deliver services or is that there is something fundamentally wrong with the way we we're organizing our society and and is there you know do you see in any of these three coalition that there is a need to rethink how malaysia state and society is organized well um i i don't want to be choosing which party will will focus more but i mean the the way the, the previous government has been focusing on especially when it comes to development and expenditure is mainly on the infra project railway highway which which are the big ones which they think can generate economic growth uh, on macro terms but i think they forget on the um, they less focus on the main issues such as the education health and of course as i mentioned as i mentioned before our food supply issue we are still net importer of major food products we have problems with our food productions we are still lagging we still depend on the traditional way i think uh, is best if the government the next government can spend more on the on things that can help societal societal growth in the future because these are more pertinent as compared to the infra because i mean the current infrastructure i think the, the highways really benefit more i mean being utilized uh, efficiently but the train are still uh, underused not not crowded mm-hmm. uh, not crowded as expected uh, only of course if you look during the office hour of course it's sorry during the morning and the evening session of course it's quite big but during the afternoon uh, in the in the like around 3 o'clock is empty right yeah. right right zafri thank you uh, so much uh, detailing out the the budget and the issues that the the malaysian economy is facing is is in my view really helpful uh, i've learned a lot and i i, I also hope uh, Uh, those who listen to this podcast uh, will will have a better sense of how the coalitions the various coalitions are managing or can potentially manage the Malaysian economy thank you zafri okay. and over to you ken thanks greg and zafri for helping frame some of the core domestic and global economic challenges facing a new malaysian government You've been listening to a series of podcasts on Malaysia's GE15 produced by Ken Wong in association with Masa, the Malaysia and Singapore Society affiliate of the Asian Studies Association of Australia.